thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today I'm going to be joined by Dr Stephen Green who is a lifelong educator, best-selling author of the book Maximum Education. He's the host of the Make the Grade podcast and an online success community facilitator. His mission and focus are simple, to provide actions to his students to maximise their education. Back in 1997, he founded Make the Grade Academic Services, which has provided educational consulting and tutoring services to over 13,000 students and their families, and still counting. Now, we are still fundraising to bring lots of the wisdom and the information that we're sharing on the Education on Fire podcast to create a child-friendly book that we can gift to the children in our lives. To find out more about how you can support this in terms of a donation or to share it with your network, please go to educationonfire.com forward slash book. That's educationonfire.com forward slash book. And to support you to find out how you can make the grade, this is my wonderful conversation with Dr. Stephen Green. Hello, Dr. Stephen Green. Thank you so much for joining us on the Education on Fire podcast. Tell us a little bit about um, Make the Grade and and exactly the sorts of educational inspiration that you're involved in. Well, good morning, Mark. Uh, Make the Grade was founded in 1996. And the original mission was to help students who were done with uh, secondary school, but not quite ready for college. It was sort of a transitional program. And over time, it's morphed into helping students and families uh, to give them the skills, to give them actions academically in terms of college and university admissions, and in terms of kind of their overall approach to their academics in school uh, on a daily basis. So specialize, I suppose, in subjects like math and science, but also tests like the SAT and ACT, and then I have authored a book which focuses on, uh, I, be, I guess, simply put, how to be a good student and manage your time, manage your information, do this every day successfully. And I bundle all that together, and that's what we provide students and families with. So that that is our goal. I think the thing that struck me when I was looking at all of the, the resources you had on your website and everything which you're involved in was the, was the intentionality about it, which I really like. There's, there's certainly a feeling sometimes that children start to drift. You know, you go to school because you have to, um, and then you sort of meander a little bit. And then, like you say, as you get towards that kind of college age, you suddenly realise that if you want to take that next step, then you have to put some things in place and start learning. And I, I sort of mm-hmm. like the process of those sorts of skills going a little bit earlier than that so tell us a little bit about why you came to that sort of intentionality and those tools specifically was it just something which you knew worked based on your experience of tutoring well before I was in private tutoring I was a a teacher I was a high school and a university teacher professor and once I started tutoring privately one thing I found very quickly 
was most of the time when students struggled, it wasn't an intellectual issue. It wasn't that they couldn't do it. They either were too unorganized or unmotivated or just not paying attention, frankly. <laughs> and uh, I think some of this was because they maybe didn't care. They weren't invested in the process. But often I would see kids come over to my school or to my office and, you know, the notebooks would have paper sticking out in every different direction. They couldn't find their homework or they would do their homework and not hand it in. So there's a level of academics that isn't simply learning the material. Some of it is protocol. You, you know, you have to go to the class, you have to hand your work in, you have to be prepared for exams. And I always wanted to blend that and prioritize that in addition to or as complementing the uh, actual teaching of the academics or preparing them for a specific exam or not. And over time, I started to collect a lot of materials that I used to do that, calendars, flowchart, uh, you know, sort of just efficiency tools, if you, we can use that term. And that's eventually what I put together that, that made the book. And then once I had the book, it was a lot easier to teach it because now I had a workbook and a, a, a kind of a tool to do it with. But I, I think what it comes down to is uh, there's a lot of reasons why a student could be successful in school, but some of them are, are technical, some are academic, but some are also motivation. And it's demotivating or unmotivating for a kid when they don't have the right tools. Because I've seen a lot of kids and I imagine parents out there as well have seen I work, work, work. I studied X number of hours for this quiz and I still got to see. Well, because sometimes there's a, a, an inefficiency of time, right? Just because you spend six hours prepping for something doesn't mean you're doing it well. So one of my missions became and, and remains giving students as much access as I can to this type, the tools they need to have this efficiency and to be able to basically work up to the potential, as I like to say, my, my kind of phrase is maximize their education uh, and, and go from there. So it's, it's, it's a matter of awareness and it's also a matter of functionality and having the tools that you need, the students need. Yeah, I love the clarity of that. And, and I think the awareness was where I was just thinking as you were talking there. It's the fact that once you realize that there is more to it than just being in class or like you say just sort of going through the motions there is actually an mm -hmm. awareness of of how you can structure things how you can show up when you're studying how you show up in school how you want to progress the fact that you even want to progress and that you have some control over that then that like you say that opens up a whole new world and it also opens that that engagement i think which is is obviously the most important thing there's no question about that and you know something i see often and you know, we may have somewhat of an international audience here, so I, the, my vernacular may be off a little bit, but I see students who are basically bright, smart kids. So they can reach a point in school where they just don't struggle. I, um, now, in the United States, at least, a, a big break point is between eighth and ninth grade, which is about a 14-year-old kid, where they go from what we call middle school or some people call junior high school to high school. And another used transition clearly would be going from high school to a university or college level. But as the workload increases and the demands and the complexity of the classes increases, a lot of kids reach a point where they can't get by just on their wits anymore. It, it's not enough just to go home, read it over once or go through the notes once and then show up the next day and, and do well on, on an exam. 
And the challenge is they don't have anything to fall back on because they've disregarded worrying about having a system because they always could get by just on their sheer ability. And as I said, I see this commonly at a couple different points with, with kids. And this is, is kind of a, I don't know, it's not like a revelation is probably too strong a word, but it's a point where people will say, what am I going to do? And they don't really know where to go for help because this is not something typically that's taught in schools. Schools teach outlining and things like this, but they don't really teach a kind of a comprehensive how to be a successful student as an idea. And I'm not sure it's the role of the schools and I'm sure different uh, systems would, would, would think differently about that. But that's where I see the stuff I'm doing as, as, as providing that skill set and plugging that gap. And, 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 and I think it's needed I, I'm, you know, on a, on a local, national, international scale. I, I, I just see it eventually with thousands of kids. So I feel like what we're doing here is, is providing functional, hands-on, practical knowledge that people can actually just use right away. Because it's, you know, uh, just conceptual stuff doesn't really get by with these things. And I was... I, I can hear parents and teachers alike saying, I mean, I, I personally think that's absolutely true. But how do you get that across to the child who is still able to get by on their natural ability, who doesn't need that? How, 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 how do you get that at a point early enough that they can comprehend it and make most of it? Yeah, that that's a good question. And it individually, it's going to be different. Uh, I've always felt it's about showing value. It, because you're dealing with a with an age, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, where if, if they don't think it's important, they're not going to bother, right? I mean, you're hmm. you're a parent. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but believe me, once you get teenagers, <laughs> if they don't, if they don't think it's going to help them or they don't, they're not interested in it. They shut down very quickly. And I th- th- there's a degree of okay, let me show you how you can do this, and and let me demonstrate why it will help you. And there's a trust factor as well. Students, people, everybody are, are going to listen more when they feel you're honest and you're there honestly to help them. And you're not just trying to be dogmatically d- demanding something to take, do this because I said so. You know, that, that's not the relationship and that's not the energy that we're trying to project out there. We're saying, listen, there's a lot of ways you could do this. And there's a certainly a lot of ways that we could define success but I can show you a path of low or maybe least resistance. You can get there as easily as we can show you to get there. And then one last thing I'll say about this is everything I'm teaching has multiple ways it can be done. So everything, there's four or five steps in the process and each of those four or five steps has multiple uh, possible manifestations of how they happen. So student A could have kind of part one from part one, part six from part two and part two from part three. I I don't define them that way, but I I think you get the point. So in the end, it becomes an individual choice and it becomes something that each student or each family can tweak and develop as what works for them. And I think that's why it becomes successful. And the, the other thing I'll add is it's important to get students to think big picture. Everyone is so focused on grades and everybody is so focused on these sort of micro assessments 
Um, and sometimes they don't look at the larger idea. Uh, you know, where are you really trying to get in two, three, four years? And and I think that's important as well. Is is, is helping students to set goals, think beyond the quiz that's this Friday or the test that's next week and, and look how everything fits into a larger agenda of, of goal setting and really ultimately what you want to do with your life. I think those things in combination when presented properly, and there's a little bit of, I mean, not even a little bit, there's an element of psychology here as well. And fortunately, I have a little bit of a background in it, but th- th- I think that's kind of the idea. It's sort of a combination of motivation, practical knowledge, showing them the big picture, and then showing that you're there to help them. You know, we're, we're on the same team. When I'm working with a student or a family, we're on the same team. We have the same goal set. And uh, that's how it brings it all together, I believe. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think I think that that being in it together is the most important feeling, isn't it? And and I think it's that relationship in and any student feeling like you're working with them, which then opens the door to all those things that you've spoken about. And, and, and certainly for me, one of the one of the key things which I think has been really successful, especially when they don't have a big picture um, because they don't know what they want or where they want to go is sometimes it's just a question of working out what you don't like you know i i like this area but not that area i like working in this scenario but not that scenario i like big groups i like working on my own whatever that happens to be and sometimes you can just put a few things into the weeds um by knowing what you don't like and then allowing that big picture to emerge absolutely i don't think it's particularly realistic to expect a 14 or 15 year old person to have an extremely clear vision of what they want to do for the next 50 years of their life. I think sometimes it can happen, but I think generally there's enough out there. And I think that's part of the reason people go to college, right? Is to try different things or to have exposure and see, kind of stick their toe in the water, so to speak. Uh, but but I, 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 the point I think that's very important here is the team element. Um, and, you know, in a sense, we all win together or we struggle together and we work towards it. Listen, in a way, the best thing that can happen for me is when a student does well, because you know how parents are. They want to tell everybody, <laughs> how's your kid? Oh, I just got a you know, 15, 20 on the SAT, which for the audience doesn't know is an extremely, extremely good score. Yeah, they'll tell every single person that'll listen. Oh, how do you do that? Oh, I work with this guy, you know, so-and-so, and they give him my phone number or whatever, my email. And then it, it, it's, it's, it, you know, everything just progresses from success. And uh, that, that's really how I want it to be. So I don't mean in a business sense. I mean, in the sense of just everybody having satisfaction with what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. And and let's just talk a little bit now about the fact that that exposure and that success can be shared globally. You know, the, the, the technology idea, the fact you can do online courses, the sharing the information on the podcast, all of that. So I'm assuming that the essence of what we've been talking about is still the same. It's just the delivery mechanism and the fact that we can actually support children in a, in a much in a much more sort of light touch way to begin with and then sort of allow mm-hmm. them to get involved as much as they need to. Well, think about this, Mark. Um, in the United States, at least, our educational system is rooted in the English educational system because of the, you know, one point you know, America was a colony of England. The uh, English system is in some way, shape or form rooted in Europe or Rome because of that lineage. And the Roman system was rooted in Greece and who knows when before that. So we're talking fundamentally about an educational, the Socratic method system. That's going back four or 5,000 years. I don't, don't, I'm not positive what the number is. 
But but what you said is exactly true. The way it's being conveyed and communicated has changed radically, even in the last five, 10 years. When I got into, uh, started tutoring and my company, there was no online chat. There was no online audio. There was no online video. There wasn't even text messaging, if anybody can believe that, who's <laughs> under 20. <laughs> um, there wasn't even the internet. What were we talking about? Um, and I kind of grew up in my business as this stuff. You thought there's no social media, nothing. So basically, I was teaching people kind of the same way that uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln or, I don't know, Isaac Newton were learning, which was face-to-face um, in, in sort of a demonstrated way. Hey, watch me do this. Now you try it. Let's do a more complicated one. Now you try it. And that, that really hasn't changed. But what's clearly way, way different is the way that we're doing it. I mean, if you had told me even 10 years ago, I, I could support people in, in Japan or, or Germany or India or, or even in other states in the United States, California, I'm on the East Coast of the United States, New York, um, I, I, it'd be, it would have sounded uh, ridiculous, right? But the technology has paced at such a degree that not only is it strong enough to support this and the availability of computers and Chromebooks and probably most importantly, the internet to everyone. Well, not, I don't say everyone, but as many people as can get to it now. And that's really what's made a huge, huge difference. The other thing that's really been very, very helpful is the ability to work with many people at once. Um, in, in other words, I, I can, and you can do that two ways. I, I can hold a class online and have 50 kids in it. From, from anywhere. I've done that where I have kids in 50 different places all logging in to the same thing. And that's not like I'm the only one who could do that. It's not proprietary, but just the fact that that can happen. And the second thing is the huge explosion of asynchronous education where anyone could make a course, a video course, an audio course, whatever, have it hosted on a site somewhere and people could log in or access it and, and view it. So uh, I, I have courses like that, but just those two things alone have made the availability of the information so much easier, so much faster. And I think because of that, uh, the quality of it has gone up as well. And, and this and this. So yeah, the, I, I don't listen. I, I don't know what the end point is. I don't know what we're going to be doing in 10 years. Or we just, you know, everybody just think and everybody else knows it. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a point where it'll sort of plateau. Uh, but, you know, it, it all gets smaller. You know, we went from big, giant, bulky computers to small computers to phones to watches, you know. Um, and, and I think the next thing is, is sort of the virtual reality. And um, I was on a, I was involved with a, a person who's trying to do now 3D virtual reality instruction, where people would wear the virtual reality glasses and, and such, and then you would actually be teaching and it would be almost like they're sitting in a live lecture hall. So I, I'm thinking that's probably the next progression uh, with this. But th- let me add one last thing, because just to date this, this is uh, early October, 2020. and where we are, at least, we're still in the whole COVID shut-in world. Um, so even if people were, uh, I don't know what word I want to use, anti is probably too strong, but even if people didn't believe that virtual education, distance learning, call it what you may, could be uh, could be very, very functional and, and uh, 
very, very successful, a lot more people are buying into it now. So there, I think there was a bit of a skepticism of, oh, my kid can't learn online or my kid doesn't want to learn online or it's hard to teach somebody online. And because so many more people are now being compelled to do it, the whole trust factor and the people's belief that they can learn that way has, has expanded tremendously. And I think, I think that's going to lead to an even larger explosion of virtual education over the next, I don't know, whatever, year, two years, five years. I think that's really true and I also hope in in lots of ways that the sort of the the virtual reality idea actually helps some of the more artistic subjects or the, the artistic creative things that we learn within schools which is harder to learn on a zoom call but I think that the, this kind of concept of that sort of 3D idea and all of that will actually bring that to life in a much more user-friendly like say when the technology is there and when the access is there and, and 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 there are a couple of other things which I thought you said which were really really interesting and I think the fact that you can learn from anybody around the world now is absolutely fantastic because what mm-hmm. it does is it means that you can study with the best you can learn with the best you're not restricted to the person who happens to be down your street or happens to be the person teaching at your school but I guess the flip side of that is, is you have to be really careful about who they are. And so that credibility, that experience is going to be a really important factor about you then deciding who it is that you do want to go and find. Yeah, that, well, that's, a, that's both very, very uh, accurate points is the availability is there and it's much, much greater. And then, you know, the, but the uh, credibility can sometimes come into question uh, because there's, it's such a low entry barrier, right? Anybody can set up a website or whatever in a portal and say they're an expert in something and how's anybody going to know so it's a caveat mTOR sort of thing but the beauty of it is you know in an idealistic way I can say listen I want to learn how to play the percussion right who's the best percussion teacher in the whole world oh what look there's this guy Mark Taylor in north part of London (laughs) and I could have access to you Um, whereas uh, under normal circumstances probably not Maybe not even, probably not, almost definitely not, because as you say, we're limited geographically and we're limited financially. Um, I, you know, it's interesting because, and, and it almost pains me to say this because I think they get a negative connotation, but what drives a lot of this stuff is the online gaming world. And I see a lot of kids, you know, you know, one of the biggest complaints I get from parents, my kids spend so much time on these darn video games and <laughs> You know, I can't get them off the video games and they're always on the computer or always on their phone, you know, chatting with their friends. But a lot of that drives the technology because the games demand greater and greater um, core processing and video processing and audio processing. And because the companies, the big company, the Microsofts, the Sonys of the world are driven to provide that, the education and all the other ancillary things can piggyback on that. So... You know, that's kind of how it works. I'll tell you one thing. Um, I I think the best part about this is the availability. Because there are still, unfortunately, a lot of people in the world that that do not have access to great education. Um, In the United States, you hear the word underserved a lot. But typically, they're in urban environments uh, or in countries that are just not as, uh, unfortunately, financially sound. Uh, so there are people getting left behind. We're potentially for sure getting left behind. And uh, that's everywhere. I, I do some pro bono work locally in some schools that just they don't have computers. You know, they're, they're, their dropout rate is high. 
So, you know, we're, we're not, we're not, you know, the, the, a lot of things we're talking about are very, very accessible to, I don't know, middle, upper middle class. I don't know how to categorize it sort of socioeconomically, but not to every single person. Right. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that that's something that can expand because education is the ticket uh, for better life for so many people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's why I love the sort of where we started in terms of that sort of variety of the things that you can offer. You know, one child might come across the book that you've written because it's on a desk somewhere or in a library or someone passes it on or it might be that they they have some technology which is old and not really working but they can still listen to a podcast or it might not be that they can get onto a virtual webinar and and do that because of you know the broadband width or whatever it happens to be but at some point hopefully with enough of these conversations and enough people making a big difference in the world just like yourself what that's going to do is it's going to give more access to more people in whichever way that happens to be and i think it's these conversations it's these ideas it's it's people putting this effort in i think is is the driver there's no question about it i I have no idea who said it but years ago i was on a conference and somebody said uh, educate, uh, inf- not education, information is one of the few things that exist that can be replicated infinitely. It's a resource that never diminishes. You know, food, you can only feed so many people and, and water, you can, only so many people can drink. But information, the, a, gazil- a hundred million b- billion people can get the exact same information without any degrading of the quality of it. And it's just a matter of getting that chain going and, and, and getting people to understand it and, and move forward with it. You know, some of the things we're talking about, Mark, are a little bit idealistic. Um, but, but, but you know what? I think you have to think that way because we, what we want as educators and, and as parents it, it are just people to have the opportunity and to have access. What the kids and the children and students do with it to a degree is up to them. You know, I, I see us as educators and parents, as providers, as motivators, as structural sort of uh, coordinators. But in the end, the kids have to, they have to understand what their why is. And they have to understand why they want to do it and what they want to accomplish. And we're giving them the tools. We're trying to give them the mindset. We're trying to give them the upbringing. Uh, but ultimately, they have to make that decision. They have to run with it. So... I always try to keep that as part of the equation as well. Yeah, I think all these things are multifaceted, aren't they? And I think you're you're absolutely right. It, the, the the big picture thing is important, but then, like you say, it's having the mechanisms and the tools and the understanding and the support around you to make that a reality. And I think understanding even that as a concept is is really important for for children. And it's certainly one of the reasons why. One of my big drivers at the moment is to compile a lot of these interviews and, and put it into a book for children because I just want mm-hmm. them to understand that while they might be great at maths or physics or music or whatever it happens to be, a lot of it's the it's the advice, it's the resources, it's these conversations which actually get all of that started and and, and I think it's going to be going to be really important that and, uh, and and let's just talk a little bit about sort of your school experience or or a teacher that you remember was that a real driver for you in terms of being involved in education both of my parents were educators so i grew up in a home where it was the norm you know we'd eat dinner my mother would grade papers my father was a college professor 
my mom was a first grade teacher, so they were kind of on opposite ends of the mm-hmm. educational continuum, but <clears throat> their their roles were basically the same. So they'd be making lesson plans and grading papers and cutting out, you know, letters out of construction paper to hang up on the bulletin boards. And <clears throat> so I, it was very natural for me to feel like education was just sort of my destiny. My sister turns out is a college professor. My brother's a lawyer and a law professor. So I guess we all kind of got that. Um, Along the way, uh, there's certainly been teachers, professors that have really motivated and impacted me. And I could single a few out, but I'll mention one specific guy named Tony Evangelista. Um, And he was a teacher I had when I was doing a training to become a teacher specifically uh, in inner city situations. And he ran a program uh, taking teachers and and kind of giving us an insight into, you know, some of the special, I don't know, some of the particular challenges we might have in these environments, like kids not having books or kids being three grade levels behind. And um, one of the things he said, which I never forgot, was uh, paraphrasing it, if you care enough about the kids and you can communicate that you care, they'll listen to you. And if you treat it like a job where you're just going to get a paycheck every Friday or whatever, they, they won't. And I, I, that just really resonated with me. Um, and I, I, because it's true, teaching education mentoring, whatever you want to label it as, is is a labor of love to a degree. And when the people on the other end feel like you care about them, they'll they'll bend over backwards for you to try to make please you, right? It's like coaching, you know, same thing. Um and he he was he didn't push the idea. He kind of said it and he would say it every couple of lessons that we had. But it was so absolutely true um that I just it became part of my my whole modus operandi of teaching, because when I when I went to become a teacher, I, I went to high school, I went to college, I majored in education and math because you have to major in something else to teach. I went to graduate school to become a actually a, a principal or headmaster, you might refer to it as, um, in in schools. And I turned out I didn't like the administrative side. I wanted to stay in the teaching side, but it was all very technical. You know, you'd learn, here's how you make a lesson plan. Here's how you do this type of style. And that's fine because you do need to know that too. And and they'd have classes on psychology and Maslow's hierarchy and you know things of this nature. But th- I, I don't know that there was a human sort of piece to it. And and I think that's what Dr. Evangelista conveyed. Um, and this was years ago. I mean, this was before I even started my tutoring business. I was still in the in the teaching side. So he's one I always single out. Uh, but we all, you know, I think every person has some person like this, and it may not be a school teacher, you know, it may be a, a, a coach or just some adult who, who was a role model for them in a positive way in their life. And, uh, and, and I think that that's valuable, not valuable. I think it's critically valuable. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of thing I was talking about in terms of being able to share this sort of wisdom and, and sometimes well, I think you do inherently know it when you hear it. <laughs> and and it's, you know, that particular advice is incredibly important, but you know, as well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story real quick. Last, uh, in the last year around Thanksgiving, I had to go to the supermarket. My wife was cooking something and I, 
we were cooking something. I like to cook too, but anyway, we didn't have some ingredient we needed. So I had to go down to the market to buy it. I'm standing in line and there was a person behind me, like really familiar, but I couldn't place him. And we're kind of looking at each other and we didn't say anything. And he says to me, are you Dr. Green? I said, yeah. He says, you know what? You tutored me when I was in ninth grade and 11th grade. I tutored him in ninth grade biology and 11th grade. I taught him the SATs to get into college. Now this uh, person is now 32 which kind of dates me, <laughs> you know, older, but he went to college, went to medical school, uh, went to residency. Now he's a surgeon working at a hospital in Boston and was home for the weekend for Thanksgiving to visit his parents. And he made a comment like, uh, it wasn't like he was effusively praising me, but he said, you know, he said, you know, you really helped me. And some of the things that you taught me, I, I used later. You know, it wasn't just like you only taught me biology. I used it in college and medical school and technique-wise, not necessarily information-wise. And, you know, I remember walking out of the supermarket and I just, it felt good. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's like this is why we do what we do. We're trying to make a living. I got to pay rent. I got to put food on the table. But you can't buy that, you know, that you would impact somebody. I haven't seen this kid in – what, 15 years? I didn't work with him in 15 years. And it was just a random thing. Just happened that moment. Um, but it was really, really cool. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us in education, that's part of why we do it, maybe all of why we do it. Uh, and not just in education, but in, in any of these roles where you help people. And, uh, you know, it, it's good. It, it's just it's it's just a really good thing that stuff like that can happen. As not only a success story for that, for that boy I was mentioning, but just, you know, for the whole process. I think we often don't hear those things as often as they actually do affect people. Because like you say, probably for, for every one of that person, there's another handful that feel exactly the same, but just didn't have yeah. that random encounter to be able to tell you. And I think keeping that in your heart is really key in terms of keeping that motivation going, isn't it? Uh, it's no, I, there's no question. Listen, we're all going to have a legacy somewhere, right? And I'm hoping mine would include at least that I did what I could to help as many people as I could. And I don't mean, I'm not saying that because I want people to pat me on the back. I'm saying it because it's what I really do and it's what I really believe in. And and the fact that it's measurable and tangible to a degree is a bonus, you know. And uh, you know that that's kind of the thing. The uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right. You don't know everybody that you've touched. And I'm not saying I've been perfect and every single person I've worked with is an incredible success story. I don't think that's realistic. Um, but but it's a goal and it's 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 a mission statement and it's a mindset, you know, and that that's really what's important. And that's part of what culturally I you know, within my business and my service I always try to do. So Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And and just as we as we start to round up, um, we talked about sort of the legacy and the, con the sort of the content that we're putting out into the world that um, that hopefully is affecting people in a positive way in terms of, of each of us. But is there a resource or something which has really had a big impact on you which you'd like to share with people? And that may be something related to teaching, but it may be you know a video, a song, a film. It could be anything, but something which really impacted you in a positive way. There's a couple of things. There's a couple of ways I'd address that. There was a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. I don't know that it was the world's most famous movie, um, but if you're a teacher on any level, it, it's it's a 
tearjerker, you know, kind of just very uh, hit home kind of movie. And it's about a guy who actually was a music teacher. He wanted, he wanted to be a musician. It was the same guy who was in Jaws. I'm not good with actors' names. But anyway, um, he wanted to be a musician. But he, musicians, as you may know, Mark, don't always get paid very well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that happened in England as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, struggling artist sort of stereotype. So to support himself as a musician, he took a job as a music teacher. And, you know, he just never quite got the break as a musician but became more and more into teaching. And he wrote over the course of his life, uh, basically what amounts to a symphony because uh, he was sort of a classical pianist. And um, the culmination of the movie is all these students he'd worked with over however many years um, got together and performed the symphony that he wrote. Um, and and it's, it's powerful, I think. I mean, like I said, it's not the world's most famous movie, but... It was really, really good. I, um, you know, I, I don't remember uh, how long ago it came out. It's probably 10, 15 years. Richard Dreyfus is the guy in it, yeah. I think. Um, on, on the flip side of it, I um, put together, I'm, I'm going to kind of give you something I've learned personally, and I want to share this with your audience because I think it'll help everybody. Um, I had done a lecture. I was asked to give a talk. And it was a talk for educators. In other words, it was teachers working with teachers to help teachers learn new techniques. So it's kind of a peer-to-peer -peer situation. And I said to the coordinator, what do you want me to speak about? They said, oh, you have no so much stuff, Steve. Just, I'm sure you'll find something good. <laughs> I, <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks for the counsel. Um, and what I, what I came across was something that has really expanded and it's become uh, something that's helped a lot of people. So I, wanna, I just want to bring it out here. And I call it the five structures of home learning success, but it really could be applied to anything. Um, and I've been, since I gave this talk once, I've been asked to do it like 30 more times, but let me just share this really quickly. Lead to success. First one is a physical structure. You can't get anything done if it's noisy, if you don't have a good table, you don't have good lighting, you don't have a quiet work environment. Two is a time structure. You gotta have good time management. You have to do the work when you need to. The third one is academics. You gotta know what you gotta do. The fourth one is accountability. You have to have somebody who's going to kind of keep you going. And the last one is support. When you need help, you want to know where you're going to go to get help. And I could turn that into a 60-minute presentation, but I'm going to leave it at that. And um, those things are, and what made me think to talk about that right now, all the result of working with so many people over so long and interacting with so many people, parents, students, professionals, people are sort of parallel to me and sort of beyond me in terms of who they're serving um, and just trying to break it down to the most fundamental, basic, doable, achievable actions that people can take. And that's really uh, you know, kind of how I'm all going to try to bring this together as I, you know, I know we're pressed on time a little bit um, is if you can get those five pieces in place, everything else is much more easy. I think that's brilliant. And I, and I think, I think it's it's a bit like we were saying before. I think children understanding the whole concept of what learning is about and and how you fit it into your life as you're growing and finding out all these things. I think understanding those five principles as a parent and and as a teacher even is just that kind of 
it just means that everything else can fall into place in a way that becomes manageable, even if it's just a compartmentalization of something in your mind. Maybe that's just the way that my brain works. But uh, it just seems a much easier place to start. And, and I love that. And I can see how, how valuable that would be to so many people. Well, yeah, it, it, it's the simplicity is what makes it work. That's the beauty of it. So for those people who'd like to find out more about what you do online and, and even get involved in somewhere, tell us where they can go go and find out that information. Uh, my website is makethegrade, M-A-K-E-T-H-E-G-R-A-D-E dot net, which is more or less the clearinghouse of all things that I do, uh, or you'll find links to everything else there. Uh, includes links to my podcast and some of the services and offerings that I have. The book specifically has its own website, which is MaximumEducation.net, although you can get to that through Make the Grade site. Um, One thing I'll just plug a little tiny bit is every Thursday night, although it would be an awful hour for you, (laughs) your time zone at 8 p.m., I do a live stream. It's called Education Live Thursday. And uh, it's kind of a bringing together all things I see happening in education that week or ongoing things. I always have a guest on there as well uh, in some field. In fact, this week coming up is a person who specializes in helping athletes get scholarships for sports to college. Uh, so that that's become very popular and uh, getting a nice listenership and viewership there. But maketheGrade.net is the kind of central place I would refer people to. I'm also on social media. I'm not the world's best at it. I'm an old guy. But for an old guy, I'm doing pretty good uh, with social media. So uh, I'm on Facebook. You can search for me, Dr. Stephen Green, or Make the Grade. We have our own page. Um, We also have the communities and things like this. So yeah fantastic well we'll we'll have links to all of those on the show notes for this this episode so people can click through really easily and find out exactly what they need so uh, well thank Stephen. thank you so much for being here it's been it's been really interesting a real honor to chat through these concepts but also with that understanding exactly how bit by bit we can help each student and uh and take them forward and some of those examples have been a, a really great example of that so yeah thank you very much for being here today i appreciate the uh you having me on i appreciate uh you know, the chat. I, I really enjoy doing this. And listen, if we can help one person, uh, only one, you know, I'd rather help hundreds, but if we can help only one, it's worth it. So everybody out there, just do the best you can plug in, get focused, use the tools available to you, listen to people like Mark and me, I guess too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really it's about using the resources. The, the resources are there, right? It's a matter of just getting them, fitting them for yourself and moving ahead. And, uh, you know, maybe we can do this again sometime. Yeah, love to. That's great wisdom to, to finish off with. Thank you so much indeed. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.